Hello. Welcome to episode 115 of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And if you're new around here, perhaps you found me through Threads, of course, which I recently joined. Welcome. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all socials. So why not give me a follow, especially, I mean, I usually say over on Twitter. I guess maybe now I say over on Threads. Uh, unless you find it through Instagram, I'm not really sure how these things work. Anyways, I'm at Sir DRJM on everything. You can follow me. You can tweet uh, tweet at me. You can thread at me, throw some yarn at me. I I don't know what we're going with here. You can message me on these various platforms uh, directly or publicly if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, and you can bring me topics, questions, concerns, whatever you've got for the show um, as they relate to Overwatch, as they relate to the Overwatch League, um, obviously Overwatch 2, anything really. If you want to bring video game, general video game stuff to me, if you want to bring Blizzard game stuff to me, I'm happy to talk about it. I love video games. I talk about video games a lot and I play a fair number of them. So why not give me a follow over on all those social media platforms out there, but especially reach out to me and I'll bring your questions, comments, concerns, and topics to the show. Now today, we actually don't have a very big show. This is going to be a pretty short one, I think. Uh, we are, of course, in terms of the Overwatch League, we're in between uh, our, our, or we're in our halfway point through the season, so we're in between our first stage and our second stage, the latter half of the season. Of course, the Overwatch World Cup just concluded, so we do have, uh, you know, some results to talk about there, and a little bit of, um, you know, details about teams that are advancing in the Overwatch World Cup, so we'll talk a little bit about that. And then aside from that, we've really just got a couple of stories here to talk about um, general Overwatch happenings of course some exciting news some not so exciting news and uh some movement in the overwatch league so without further ado let's dive on in now silly me i said let's dive on in but i forgot a whole chunk of the intro so before i dive on in we're gonna loop back here you can of course find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there spotify apple apple podcast google Podcasts, etc etc so give us a follow leave us a review tell your friends and all that jazz and of course if you enjoy what you hear here today i encourage you to check out the ready set pwn podcast your premier source for everything vancouver titans and toronto defiant over there, I am the third chair with my co-hosts Alex and Chris. We talk everything Vancouver Titans, Toronto Defiant, Canadian Overwatch action, and, you know, more broadly, Overwatch League action in general. Over there, you can also check out some of our recent episodes where we've got the pleasure of interviewing people like Adam Adamu, of course, at Grayson on Twitter, who is the interim CEO of Overactive Media, the ownership group of, of course, the Toronto Defiant and on the Call of Duty League side, the Toronto Ultra, who uh, I'll actually talk a little bit about later on in the show here, uh, the organization that is. We've also interviewed people like Sean Miller, president of the Overwatch League, Baroy, GM of the Vancouver Titans, Casora's head coach of the Toronto Defiant, um, and a few other decently big names in the Overwatch League. So definitely check out the Ready, Set, Poem podcast if you enjoy what you hear here on One Man Watchpoint. Now, since all that is said and done, let's dive on in. <laughs> There's something on your dress. All right, so our first story here, the way this podcast works, of course, is we basically look at news from all around the net 
as it relates to Overwatch and the Overwatch League and everything going on with Overwatch. So, of course, one of our premier sources around here is .esports.com, so we actually have a number of articles from .esports that we're going to talk about today. Our first one was posted on June 29th by Scott Robertson and reads, Activision reportedly considering mandate that would force OWL CDL franchises to unify. Activision Blizzard is reportedly showing interest in the idea of forcing organizations fielding teams in the Call of Duty League and Overwatch League to unify their brands under one name across both leagues. Activision Blizzard esports executives have been actively discussing a mandate that would force teams to unify their brands, according to a report by Dexerto's Jacob Hale. Hale speculates that this could potentially be a reason behind a reported move that would send the Seattle Surge to Vancouver, where fellow enthusiast gaming-owned franchise the Vancouver Titans are located. Looking at the two leagues, there are nine CDL-slash-OWL franchise duos that are operated by the same company, Boston, Toronto, Los Angeles... Uh, interesting that they have the team names in brackets here, Gorillas slash Gladiators. I guess it's just because they're different, but all the teams are different. I don't know. Atlanta, Las Vegas, Florida, New York, Seattle slash Vancouver, and Optic Texas slash Dallas Fuel. The groups based in cities like Boston, Toronto, or Vegas could very easily pick one of their two franchises and apply their branding slash name to both. If this mandate does come to fruition, it could prove to be a little more challenging in places like Atlanta or Texas. The phrase ban branding sorry, is used for the Atlanta CDL team owned by Atlanta Esports Ventures, but the, Owls, uh, the company's OWL franchise is the Atlanta Reign. FaZe Clan hasn't operated in Overwatch since the, before the inception of the league. The same issue could be presented sorry, to Envy, who own and run Optic Texas brand in CDL, and the Dallas Fuel brand in the Overwatch League. Another small roadblock for Envy applying Optic branding to their OWL franchise is the fact that another Texas-based OWL team in the Houston Outlaws also runs with a green and black color scheme since it was formerly owned by Optic Gaming. Per Dexerto, quote, multiple sources have confirmed that the potential mandate is being explored by Activision Blizzard, but no official decision has been made. So let's talk a little bit about why this is interesting. Of course, to me, this is particularly interesting as a fan of the Vancouver Titans and the Toronto Defiant, because both of my teams have uh, branding or, or uh, whatever sister sister teams in the Call of Duty League, of course, with the uh, Vancouver Titans being associated with the Seattle Surge, and then the Toronto Defiant being associated with the Toronto Ultra. Now, um, a little bit different in that both Toronto teams are obviously Toronto-based and actually operate out of, you know, the same facility and everything like that, of course, owned by Overactive Media, whereas the Seattle Surge and the Vancouver Titans, although both are, I think, owned by Canucks Esports and Entertainment, um, or Canucks Sports and Entertainment Group, uh, they are a little, you know, more spread out. Obviously, Seattle is, I believe, actually based in Seattle. If not, they're, they're certainly not based out of Vancouver. Now, the real question that I have when it comes to these teams that have, uh, you know, this this overlap with a team in, uh, in a, a mirroring location, uh, the big question that I have is which brand do these teams go with of course we know certain stats and things about both of uh both sides of the coin right we know that uh on the overwatch side the toronto defiant despite not having the best uh performances every season in fact being quite mid almost the definition of mid pretty much every season um they are a very popular brand in terms of the overwatch league but the flip side of that is that the toronto ultra 
are, I think, a much bigger brand uh, in terms of, you know, awareness and and uh, things like that. I think they have a much larger and more dedicated fan base just because of the way things have sort of grown. Now, that's nothing against the Toronto Defiant fan base. Obviously, they're they're big as well. It's just I think Call of Duty has a little bit more of a a little bit more broad appeal than uh, the Overwatch League. Of course, we know the Overwatch League is, um, you know, not necessarily the triple A esport uh, that, that everyone thought it was going to be that tier one esport that it was really sold as, uh, you know, during the inception of it. Um, whereas Call of Duty, I think, uh, just by nature of the game, by nature of it being a yearly release and everything like that, I think they're a little more, a little more steady and also, like I say, a little more broad appeal, right? So I could certainly see the Toronto, uh, organizations becoming both the Toronto Ultra and the Call of Duty League and the Toronto Ultra on the, uh, Overwatch side of things. Do I hate that? Not really. Um, I actually quite like the Toronto Ultra uh, branding and, and color scheme and everything. Um, in general, there's actually a few of these um, of the Call of Duty League uh, sort of uh, franchises that that really kind of speak to me in terms of their graphics and stuff like that. I actually love the Florida Mutineers. At the same time, though, I also really like the Florida Mayhem. And I actually kind of... I think the Mayhem is maybe... A, a more flashy brand, whereas Mutineers is a little more subdued, right? Now, the thing is, in the Call of Duty League, I think we generally don't see the bright, vibrant sort of teams like we do uh, in some of the Overwatch League, of course, the Toronto Ultra being sort of the exception to that. Um, Seattle Surge, I actually really like their logo design. I'm not, I've never been a fan of the Vancouver team being the Titans and having this sort of Sasquatch Yeti as their logo. Um, I, whereas I really do like the Seattle Surge logo, but I think the flip side of the conversation I was just having about Toronto is that Vancouver might be uh, more interested in a Call of Duty League branding simply to ditch the Vancouver Titans uh, uh, reputation, if you will. They have a bit of a storied history, of course, in the Overwatch League, of course, you know, not just recent uh, bad tidings for them, but of course, with, you know, going back to the uh, classic implosion of the runaway squad that was originally uh, made the Vancouver team what they were. So where Toronto, I see it being a, in large part, a sort of more business, more appeal, more marketing decision. When it comes to the uh, Seattle slash Vancouver side of things, I could see it really as more of a refresh, more of a restart point kind of thing for, for the Vancouver organization in general, which is honestly, I, I don't hate. Um, you know, I, I kind of think that it's cool. Again, like I say, I like the Seattle Surge branding a little better. Um, I wouldn't mind if they maybe brought a little more green into their logo on the Overwatch side of things, just give it a little bit more of a pop. Um, but that's, you know, coming down to semantics there. Now, the other side of this, of course, uh, the franchises that Dottie Sports mentions there, we've got Boston. So we've got the Boston Uprising and Boston Breach. Uh, they mentioned Toronto. We've got Los Angeles Gladiators and Gorillas, Atlanta Phase and Rain, Las Vegas Eternal, and uh, what the heck is Vegas's team called? Uh, Legion, which is a little bit of an interesting one. Um, Legion Eternal. They both have very similar uh, color scheme kind of thing. Um, then of course we've got Florida Mutineers and Mayhem. We've got the New York Subliners and Excelsior. I've never really understood where Excelsior came from, but I'm sure that's some New York thing that I'm just not aware of. Seattle, Vancouver, and then Optic Texas and Dallas Fuel. Of course, 
as the article mentions there, Optic Texas and the Dallas Fuel is arguably the most confusing one because I do think Optic uh, Texas has some real cachet behind it given the Optic branding. Um, whereas the Dallas Fuel side of things is a little bit more unique, but also has um, just recently had some really great success that they could kind of lean on. So really hard to say which way they'll go there. Again, Optic Texas also, they point out the obvious flaw that they are sort of branded green and black, green, white, and black. Whereas the Houston Outlaws, the other Texas team are, are uh, featured with that kind of branding. So in any case, I think this is really interesting and I'm really curious to see what this next, uh, this upcoming off season brings. Do I think things will happen that quickly? Not necessarily, but I definitely see it as a possibility. We know that Overwatch is kind of, as much as they wouldn't want to say it, I think they're largely in a bit of a transition period. Um, you know, Overwatch 2 hasn't even been out for a year yet. Uh, it is technically, in air quotes, still in early access. And I think this season six that we're getting, um, uh, when will it launch? I think in early August, is sort of that the maybe the first season where we're really seeing the vision of what they wanted overwatch 2 to be obviously you know a month or so ago we got the news that overwatch 2 was never quite going to be the original vision that we were sold on back in you know 2019 but even still i think season six is going to be or uh everything they've shown us says that it is meant to be the closest to that vision that we've seen yet now yes I'd say every season has improved in very small ways with some seasons being, you know, bigger leaps. I really feel like season six is maybe what the team would have wanted to launch with so that we started with that and then from there they could say it's only up from here and that, that could have been really exciting. So in any case, point is, Overwatch I think is kind of in this transition, right? We're still building to what we really want Overwatch 2 to be at the same time after this season we'll be coming off a grand championship of course we'll also then shortly after that i believe go into the overwatch world cup finals at blizzcon because i believe grand finals will be somewhere around october and then we know that uh, overwatch world cup finals will be during blizzcon so we're going to be coming off of a couple of pretty big highs when it comes to overwatch specifically obviously call of duty league is in their off season right now they actually just concluded um uh, maybe a month ago as well, uh, something around there. So they're going to be in a bit of a lull, but they'll also have some hype building for the next season. We also know that Call of Duty usually drops their latest entry around November, right? For the longest time, it was right around November 11th, Remembrance Day in Canada, or um, I believe it's Veterans Day in the States. So in any case, it is kind of uh, pretty good timing if we were to get an announcement about this around say november maybe november maybe december maybe they let these things these you know grand finals and, and overwatch world cup and um you know the latest call of duty uh entry maybe they let these things drop and simmer a little bit and then they start the new year off with a pop being like hey january we're announcing these teams are unifying um you know and this also kind of feeds into some of the rumors that we've heard recently about teams moving away from the sort of location tied franchise so what i mean by that is seattle surge versus vancouver titans is a really good example maybe it's just a case of they are the surge going forward or the titans 
And yes, they're based out of Vancouver, but maybe that becomes less of the focus because then you're less tied to this old idea that we once had of, of course, um, you know, franchising the league and everything like that. Now, an interesting side of that discussion as well is, of course, the fact that if you listen to episode 201 of the Ready, Set, Poem podcast, of course, the podcast that I am also on that I referenced at the beginning of the show, uh, where we had a chance to interview Adam Adamu, interim CEO for Overactive Media, of course, parent company of the Toronto Defiant. I already discussed this. Um, but we sat down with him, or rather Chris did, because I was unfortunately stuck at work. But Chris spoke to Adam, and Adam actually had some thoughts and, and comments about how uh, at this point in the league's uh, sort of life cycle, we're at sort of a reevaluation period. We've had five years under our belt. Yes, three of those years were under COVID, which, you know, changed the landscape in general. But we've kind of seen a bit about what works and what doesn't. And now maybe it's time to pivot. Maybe it's time to make some changes. Definitely go check out episode 201 of the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast for that interview with Adam. It's a long episode because the interview with Adam is cut into sort of into the middle there. Um, but the interesting thing about it is that Adam talks about the fact that it's time for some change. He basically says, um, you know, we had this, I don't know if he talks directly about the franchise model, but the idea behind the Overwatch League in the beginning and the Call of Duty League to that point was this uh, location or geography based franchise model where teams are based out of Vancouver, Toronto, uh, New York, Boston, San Francisco, whatever, and they would feature live play at these uh, at these locations, right? Now, we obviously know that things have changed so drastically that I don't think we're ever going to go back to that. So again, it kind of feeds back into this idea that maybe we do get rid of some of this branding, uh, this location or geography, geographic branding that we see. Maybe the Los Angeles teams become, you know, both the gorillas or both the gladiators. Um, and it's as simple as that. It's not necessarily tied to Los Angeles. Yes, if a team is based out of a location like Los Angeles, like Toronto, like Vancouver, or Seattle for that matter, they can have live events. They can host these things. And of course, it will be hosted at a Rogers Arena or I, I don't even know where most of these teams would play out of, but another another venue for these teams to play. But the fact is, it wouldn't necessarily be, uh, you know, the team is tied to the geographic location. That, of course, eliminates some of the eyebrow raising around teams like Vegas, around teams like uh, Philadelphia, or now the Soul Infernal. Um, you know, dropping that sort of geographic tie means they could really be based out of wherever. The Philadelphia Fusion, for example, could be just the fusion and they could be playing out of calgary alberta or somewhere in i don't know chile uh somewhere in spain they could be playing out of almost anywhere and other than the sort of immediate local fan base it wouldn't so much matter to uh, the organization to be tied to that geographic location Yes, I would think that organizations would be smart to play on that. So Toronto, for example, I think has a pretty devoted fan base because they are Toronto. Vancouver, 
maybe not so much. I think Vancouver had a fair amount of fans who came over because they were fans of Runaway. Of course, the original roster of the Vancouver Titans being the Runaway core that was uh, basically bought and brought into the Overwatch League from the contender scene, right? So they kind of inherited a lot of fans, but that didn't necessarily mean they had a lot of local fans. Yes, obviously they did have some, but the fact is they had a lot of these sort of outside-looking-in fans in terms of the geography. If you remove the geog- geographic barrier, it doesn't matter, right? Outside of the fact of time zones and when you can watch your team play. But maybe it is a little more broad, a little more welcoming, which is something that I think we see in team or in uh, other esports like Valorant or League of Legends, right? They are, generally speaking, less location-based, although those leagues operate in sort of pockets where your region is North America, your region is Europe, and that kind of thing. So it is a little different. But I do think it does remove an element or or a a barrier for for some people, anyways. So, anyways, that was a lot of thoughts on that specific article, which I don't think many people are are talking too heavily about, um, because right now it is air quotes a rumor. Um, it sounds like it's all but confirmed and it's going to happen. I think it's just a matter of when. So. Now, let's continue on. Our next article, we're going to stick with .esports.com, this time with an article by Scott Dew, posted on June 30th, which reads, Overwatch is finally getting the anime treatment this July. Overwatch fans rejoice, and Overwatch anime is coming. While the franchise's story has traditionally been told through animated shorts and comic books, the first anime-style miniseries is coming to shed a light on the rich story of Blizzard's game universe. And let me tell you, the trailer looks amazing. The trailer is freakishly timely as it talks about helpful AI that turned on humanity in what came to be called the Omnic Crisis. The time before the war is one that hasn't been explored much in previous Overwatch lore drops, so it looks like some new information may be revealed in the series. The short trailer features some new characters along with a look at fan-favorite Overwatch heroes like Reinhardt, Anna, and Torbjorn battling Omnics during the crisis. The miniseries will release in three parts. The first part, Part 1, Dawn, releases next week and has a runtime of 5 minutes and 13 seconds. Altogether, the three parts may make up what would amount to one episode of an anime series. The animation style is that of a classic anime series, with only, which only heightens the excitement for players, who took to the replies of the announcement tweet to share their joy for more Overwatch lore in a completely new medium. The first part of Genesis, an Overwatch miniseries, premieres on YouTube, on July 6th at 11 a.m. CT. So that means by the time you're listening to this, you will probably be able to watch this, which is very exciting. Um, I think this is, you know, as the headline of the article implies, Overwatch is finally getting the anime treatment this July. This is something that has been long desired and long since uh, sought after in the Overwatch world, right? We all know Overwatch has this deep lore, this deep uh, story behind it. And all we get are these, you know, two to three minute, maybe at most a five minute cinematic trailer for Overwatch 2, which, you know, doesn't really come to fruition. Or we get, you know, some little intro in game, or we get a comic that, you know, I actually am a pretty big fan of the comics. I think they do a really good job and they're very well produced and everything, but they all kind of share these little pockets of information. And this seems like it is aiming to tell a more enclosed sort of short story style, which I really appreciate, um, but one that could build out a lot more. 
Whereas previously these, these comics are sort of, here's a glimpse into this, here's a glimpse into this, here's a glimpse into this. And this feels like maybe more of a complete sort of uh, introduction into something larger. I'm very hopeful that at the end of this, you know, at the end of the third episode that they drop, uh, the third entry, they kind of say, you know, coming 2024, a fully fledged season of this or something like that. I think that would be really cool. Um, I, I don't really think that's going to happen. But overall, um, if you haven't watched the trailer for this, definitely go check it out because it looks like it should be really exciting. Um, you know, like the article says there, just go go find the, the trailer for it because we see some, some classic shots of you know, Reinhardt with his shield up. We see a lot of uh, weapon fire coming in, kind of hinting at, you know, we might see a little bit of D.Va. We're going to see a lot of Omnix, definitely some uh, some uh, Bastion models. I forget what they car- they're called, OR, not OR-15s, maybe that. Um, but in any case, uh, it should be very exciting uh, to see what this plays out as. Um, and I'm very hopeful. I, I don't know anything about the production behind it. I don't know anything about, uh, you know, who crafted the story or anything like that. I kind of wish they would give us some more of those details, um, you know, highlight what production company they used or something like that, just because there is something to be said about the pedigree behind some of these these facilities and uh, organizations that do this kind of thing. Um, so it'd be nice to get kind of a deep dive into the making of this or, or the behind the scenes of this. But overall, color me hyped. I'll be watching it tomorrow when it drops. Um, and I hope you will be as well. Moving on from there, July 3rd, we have another article on DottieSports.com, this one by Haley Andrews, who I don't believe I've actually uh, read an article from before. So first of all, welcome to the show, Haley Andrews. This is a first time for you. Uh, This article is titled, Overwatch 2 Devs Kill Hope for More PvE Story Missions in 2023. Overwatch 2 is not getting any further PvE story missions in 2023's upcoming seasons, the developers have confirmed this week, meaning players won't see more story content until 2024 at the earliest. To put it quite plainly, the 2023 season hasn't been the best or most rewarding year for Overwatch players, especially with Blizzard initially scrapping and then later tweaking how PvE was introduced to the Hero Shooter sequel. And thanks to a tell-all from the devs on Emong's Twitch stream on July 2nd, the bad news keeps coming. During the stream, Jared Nose, oh, spelled Noose wrong, Overwatch 2's executive producer revealed there are no plans for any more PvE missions in the next few seasons. This means any further content won't drop until 2024, he added. Noose continues, It is very much like trying to find that balance between getting them in front of players quickly because we love story stuff and giving ourselves enough time to make changes or add features to make it more compelling. By spreading out story missions, he explained, Blizzard believes it will have enough time to fix any issues players have with the first PvE offerings and respond to feedback. On top of that, the Overwatch devs also want to, quote, give players something to look forward to instead of simply experiencing back-to-back missions. While this isn't the most satisfying answer for many fans, especially for those who love the PvE content and were hoping to see more of it in Overwatch 2's upcoming seasons, this gap will hopefully give the devs enough time to fix the bugs and issues we've we've been experiencing with the PvE content, and hopefully it's pricing too. For now, we'll have to make do with a few rounds of Flashpoint. So of course, uh, this touches on the sort of developer interview, uh, I forget what they called it, uh, that they did just a a little while ago, um, where they talked about a lot of this stuff. Obviously, this isn't great news to hear. Um, You know, I don't think we necessarily 
thought that was the case. However, uh, I think thinking logically about it, we could have surmised that season six would be the only PVE drop we would be getting. If you look at the seasons, of course, like I mentioned earlier, season six, I believe will be launching uh, towards the start or sort of early middle half of August. So let's call it just for example, I'm just picking a date, August 10th or 11th, that might that date is stuck in my mind for some reason. Maybe that's when it's supposed to drop. <clears throat> if we say it is August 10th, and it goes, usually these seasons go for about two months, so it goes uh, September, October 10th, then we have another season where, you know, it's safe to presume we wouldn't get PVE in that following season. That following season would be somewhere around, again, October 10th, November 10th, December 10th. So that kind of leads to an easy answer of we're not going to get any more PVE until 2024, right? I wouldn't think we would get any in the season immediately after season six. So if season seven is coming mid-December, season eight is somewhere around there as well, which would be the absolute earliest I would think we would see more PVE. So I could have thought, you know, maybe we'd get some at the very tail end of the year, but ultimately I wouldn't have held out hope for that. So it's it's nice that they're spelling this out for people who aren't, you know, necessarily thinking about it in that sense. It's good that they get it out now because, you know, ultimately what's more, <laughs> let's get the let's get all the bad news out, out in the open so that we have no more bad news so that we can just move on and hopefully, you know, people will enjoy what is coming. I'm hopeful for season six. I do sort of have it in the back of my mind that I'm, you know, uh, kind of bookmarking that $15 just to drop on season six. Um, as much as I don't want to, I was never under the assumption that uh, PVE would be entirely free. I did think it would be more closely tied to the battle pass. And, uh, you know, if you had earned enough uh, Overwatch coins or credits, I can never keep it straight, which they are in-game that you would be able to buy the battle pass which would include the pve missions um even though that's kind of how i had thought it was going to work um but even still it to me that would be you spending money on it if you didn't have those overwatch coins or credits you would have to then pay real money to get them or to buy the the pve missions. so to me i always thought there would be some payment in some form so it wasn't too shocking to me when they said 15 dollars um Plus, it does get you the full battle pass for the actual competitive uh, or, or multiplayer side of things. So in any case, my point is, I'm probably going to be dropping the, the money to get Season 6 to really kind of see what it's all about, just like I did with Season 1 of the Overwatch, uh, or sorry, of Overwatch 2, because I wanted to really dive in. I wanted to sink my teeth. I wanted to see what it was all about. And I want to see what the PvE is all about, see if it really does grab me, see if I can confirm that, you know, this was good enough that I will come back when they do have another PvE drop. Obviously, Overwatch is kind of my mainstay, right? I drop in, drop out every now and then. You know, I go through phases where I'm really into it, and then I go through phases where I'm not so into it. Um, right now, I am in kind of one of those lulls, right? Although I think the theme um, and idea behind Season 5 is really great. Um, I kind of went, you know, a little bit harder on Season uh, season 4, the, the Star Watch season, because I liked the theme of that one a lot. So I wanted to earn everything. Now, it's kind of too bad that these are back-to-back because -back, I really like this one as well and would like to earn a lot of it too, but I'm just not playing that much because my interest has kind of waned. In any case, I think I'll be back for Season 6 because, like I say, I want to try this PvE stuff, see if it grabs me, and see if I can, you know, confidently say, 
next time we have another PVE drop, either I'll I'll fork over another $15 or I'll return to really check that out, uh, you know, sort of to the fullest extent. All right, and with that story concluded, we are basically at the end of our news segment of the show. We do have a few um, changes around the Overwatch League to touch on really quick here. We also, of course... Um, have the Overwatch World Cup action from this past weekend to recap. Um, and there was, man, there was something else I was going to bring up, but I don't remember what it is. So let's talk a little bit of Overwatch League action. So a few things changed in the Overwatch League just recently. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. I was going to say um, there was, of course, a patch or two that dropped uh, since last episode. I believe last episode we talked about some of the changes coming to May and Cassidy, of course, primarily. Um, they did revert some of those changes or tweak them a little bit just because I think uh, Cassidy was a little overtuned, um, and he feels like right now he's in a really bad spot where they can't quite get him right, particularly with that magnetic gr grenade. Um, so it's a little bit challenging there. The other side of it being May, of course, they uh, they had brought a lot of her crowd control ability back. They're now scaling that back again, but they're also increasing her primary fire damage to kind of compensate. So she's in a little bit of a weird balancing act. Um, Cassidy is just, in my opinion, broken. Uh, they, they haven't been able to figure out what to do with his, formerly his flashbang and now his magnetic grenade. Um, whereas May is a little bit just sort of teetering on, on a balancing beam here and as they try to really figure her out. So there was a patch that, you know, like I say, rolled out to change those things and then rolled out to uh, tweak it a little further. But again, nothing too exciting to talk about on the, uh, the changes side of things there. So I'm not actually going to go into that more than I just did. Let's talk about some action in the Overwatch League. So of course, as I mentioned, we're sort of in between our two major stages here. So we had the first half of the season, which concluded in the Mid-Season Madness Tournament with the Atlanta Reign taking uh, taking that championship. And now we're in between our first and second half of the season. Lots of teams making moves. I've been very surprised. I really didn't see any of this coming. Um, and maybe it's just because in past seasons, of course, we had a uh, minimum four-stage model where, you know, uh, it was, I believe it was six to eight weeks of play and then a sort of one or two week, maybe one weekend tournament, and then we'd have a week or two off and then we'd do that again. Um, so I feel like we didn't see much in terms of cuts and retirements and things like that. Whereas now we're seeing a lot more of that. It feels like in this gap in between the first and second half of the season, we're seeing a lot of teams making moves and it's been really surprising to me, but also really exciting. Um, good to see that teams want have are evaluating their first half and saying we need to make changes or we need to tweak things and uh, step our game up if we want to be competitive for the second half. So I believe last week we also talked about Dante uh, officially leaving the Los Angeles Gladiators and then, of course, officially retiring from the Overwatch League. But just in case we didn't, Dante of the Los Angeles Gladiators, of course, uh, was dropped by the Los Angeles Gladiators, and he did shortly after announce he was retiring from professional Overwatch play. Um, he did talk a little bit about, you know, looking at collegiate as an option, maybe dropping down so that he can get an education. Well, of course, he works on, um, or well, he can continue to, uh, you know, play Overwatch and everything like that. I do think Dante is a is a big loss to the league. He was a good face of the league. He was a good character to have around the league. 
um, and seemed like he uh, kind of had a good head on his shoulders when it comes to the public presentation of himself and everything like that. Had some personality behind him in interviews and, and everything like that. So sad to see him go, but ultimately he's been around since the start. Um, so it was only a matter of time, so to speak, in terms of, uh, you know, sport longevity. So in replacing him, they brought in Marvel or Marv One, if you will. Um, should be a little bit interesting. Offers maybe a little more flexibility than Dante, um, just because Dante had been struggling with some of those more main tank uh, characters. Um, of course, we know Dante uh, previously DPS had moved over to tank, really excelled on you know someone like Doomfist, and maybe did well on someone like a Junker Queen. But unfortunately, the meta just didn't really call for that in the first half of the season. So. Marvel should add, you know, a new, uh, a further uh, element of depth to the team, to the roster on the Gladiators there. Outside of that, the Hangzhou Spark add Pineapple. Bit of an interesting one. Of course, Pineapple played with Hangzhou last season, uh, but then I believe he dropped down to contenders, um, but they're bringing him back up. And Boston officially cuts Striker once again. So this is an interesting one because there are lots of I don't even know if I would call them rumors. It's just people having fun, saying that uh, Stryker's going back to shock because, of course, that has been his pattern. He has now been with Boston, gone to San Francisco, then back with Boston, then gone to San Francisco, then back with Boston, and now, to complete the circle, he just has to go to San Francisco again. So do I really think he's actually going to San Francisco? I mean, who knows? It's. I feel like it's equally as likely that he does as it is that he does not. Um, but in any case, uh, Boston was, uh, did drop striker. So interesting stuff. Now there's one more very important thing that we have to talk about that. Of course, I forgot to mention, uh, before the news. And that is of course right now available until I believe July 11th, that's next Tuesday. So this, the upcoming Tuesday, by the time you're listening to this, the legendary sprinkle may skin is available in the shop. So get over to the shop and get that skin for free until next Tuesday. Limited time only. Armor, come get it. All right, and with that armor equipped, let's head on over to the Overwatch World Cup website and we'll take a look at the standings, I guess not the standings, um, the results from this past uh, week's matches. Of course, this was week two of the Overwatch World Cup uh, group stage, if you will. So we now know which teams will be advancing to our finals, I believe. I think uh, I think with the results from this past weekend, we know who will be continuing on and uh, fighting it out for the ultimate, uh, for the, the title, I guess you could say. So let's take a look here. I'll quickly blaze through every match result from this past week and then we'll see if i can pull up the standings here to see who is going to be uh, uh advancing here so thursday june 29th we started things off with saudi arabia beating norway 2-0 germany beating turkey 2-0 sweden beating poland 2-0 finland beating iceland 2-0 italy be beating portugal 2-0 spain beating denmark 2-1 france beating belgium 2-0 and Australia beating India 2 nothing. 
Then on Friday, June 30th, New Zealand beat Malaysia 2-0. Thailand beat Singapore 2-0. Chinese Taipei beat Indonesia 2-0. South Korea beat the Philippines 2-0. Sweden beat Germany 2-0. Finland beat Poland 2-0. Iceland beat Turkey 2-1. Denmark beat Portugal 2-0. I should say. Belgium beat the Netherlands 2-0. Great Britain beat Italy 2-0. Spain beat France 2-1. Brazil beat Peru 2-0. Chile beat Ecuador 2-0, and Colombia beat Argentina 2-0, Canada beat Puerto Rico 2-0, United States beat Costa Rica 2-0, and Australia beat Malaysia 2-0. Then we moved to Saturday, July 1st, of course, Canada Day. Happy Canada Day if you did celebrate. Thailand beats India 2-1, South Korea beats Indonesia 2-0, Chinese Taipei beats the Philippines 2-0, Japan beats Hong Kong 2-0, Saudi Arabia beats Germany 2-0, Norway beats Poland 2-1, Finland beats Turkey 2-0, Sweden beats Iceland 2-0, Great Britain beats Spain 2-0, Netherlands beat Portugal 2-0, Denmark beats Italy 2-1, Argentina beats Ecuador 2-0, Colombia beats Chile 2-1, United States beats Guatemala 2-0, Puerto Rico beats Costa Rica 2-0, Canada beats Mexico 2-0, and India beats Singapore 2-1. And that brings us to our final day of matches, Sunday, July 2nd, when Australia beat New Zealand 2-0, Hong Kong beat Chinese Taipei 2-0, Indonesia beat the Philippines 2-0, South Korea beat Japan 2-0, Germany beat Poland 2-1, Norway beat Turkey 2-1, Saudi Arabia beat Sweden 2-0, Netherlands beat Denmark 2-0, Belgium beat Italy 2-0, Spain beat Portugal 2-0, Great Britain beat France 2-0, Peru beat Ecuador 2-0, Colombia beat Brazil 2-0, Chile beat Argentina 2-1, Canada beat Guatemala, I'm fairly certain, although the website doesn't have a score here. I'm going to go with 2-0. And then Mexico beat Puerto Rico 2-1. So that is the results of all this past week's matches. Now, that was a mouthful, so let's break it down by group so we can see who is, of course, advancing. So the advancing teams uh, break down like this. The top three teams from group A for each conference will advance to the group stage. The top two teams from group B will advance to the group stage. So in group A, in, in the America region, group A, our top three teams all advancing are the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Of course, U.S. having a win-loss of 5 nothing. Canada having a win-loss of 4-1, their only loss to the United States, and Mexico having a win-loss of 3-2. So all three of those teams advance. Group B in the America region sees Colombia advancing with a 5-0 record and Brazil advancing with a 4-1 record. They lost their first match but won all consecutive matches after that. In the APAC Group A, We have South Korea taking a 5-0 record, Japan taking a 4-1, and Hong Kong taking a 3-2 record. And in APAC Group B, we have Australia taking a 5-0 record, and Thailand taking a 4-1 record. Really kind of interesting that in each of these groups, we have someone who wound up 5-0. I'm actually a little surprised to see that. In the EMEC group, which is, of course, the uh, Europe and Middle East group, I believe. Um, We have Group A being Great Britain with six wins and one loss. So interesting, they actually played more matches. There's more teams over there. Spain taking a 5-2 record, and then France taking a 5-2 as well to complete the trio. 
and in EMEC Group B, we have Saudi Arabia getting seven wins and no losses in Finland, taking a 6-1 record. Third place over there, Norway taking 5-2. Really upsetting for them because, I mean, realistically, five wins is more wins than most of the other teams in uh, the other groups got. Um, but even still, you know, just wasn't quite enough because of the number of teams in in this this these this region um also if they had been in group a they would have been uh they actually would have beat out either spain or france for that number two or number three spot i'm just comparing stats here uh so in any case those are your teams advancing so i believe we now wait again i'm not even sure when matches will start up again or when that all comes into play I'm not sure if it just is, it can't be the finals. I'm assuming the final final is simply um, taking place during uh, BlizzCon there. I'm assuming we will have another group to, you know, narrow things down and ultimately get further and further down to our number one and our number two. So there you have it. That is it for Overwatch World Cup action for now. And with all of that said, I think we're about ready to wrap up the show stop the payload well thank you so much for listening to episode 115 115 114 115 of one man watchpoint now if you listened you of course now know that one man watchpoint is an overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of overwatch thank you so much for listening check us out on podcast services everywhere spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, etc etc give us a follow leave us a review tell your friends and all that jazz but especially go find me over on all your social media platforms at sir drjm if i'm not at sir drjm uh i am at one man watchpoint of course i mentioned at the top of the show threads which i have recently joined i did actually join it under one man watchpoint as well um which is new i've never done a dedicated social media for one man watch point specifically so maybe hit me up there maybe you found me over on on threads there and that's how you found the show regardless follow me on all the platforms there you can of course also check out the ready set poem podcast available on podcast services everywhere where i and my two other co-hosts talk everything vancouver titans everything toronto defiant and overwatch league in general thanks again for listening to episode 115 of One Man Watchpoint, and we'll catch you next week for more Overwatch action. Should have done a better job building it.